Galatians 5, if you would, in your Bibles. And we're, we're considering these two lifestyles, uh, kingdom of self, lifestyle of manipulation, indulging, driven by the desires of the sinful nature, kingdom of God, lifestyle of ministry, uh, serving one another in love. Now here's what I want to say about this. I think there are few people in this room, maybe no one, who lives in just one of these kingdoms. Uh, marriages that just live totally in the kingdom of self tend not to last very long. Uh, and so, here's what you have to realize. You have to begin to recognize that war. There are times when you get it right. There are times when you actually are loving and serving and, and gentle and patient. There are other times when you get it completely wrong. And, and so, sitting down with your husband and your, your wife and beginning to talk about this. Where are our kingdom struggles? Where do we tend to do well and get it right? Where do we tend to lose our way and, and end up in this uh, war between our two little claustrophobic kingdoms of one? Now having said that, I think that we want to ask the question, what is this love that this passage is talking about? What does love actually look like? How do we define this thing called love? Is your marriage a place of love? Does love drive your actions, reactions, and responses? Is there love in your marriage? And how do you know if there is? What what does love look like? Now, I, I want you to do a little mental exercise with me. I asked you to do this earlier. If you had to write a 25 words or less definition of love, what would you write? What would be the, the essential ingredients of love? Okay, please exercise your brain. I know it's Saturday morning and... This is supposed to be brain-dead time in your life. But exercise your brain a little bit. What, what, what does love look like? What is it characterized by? How do we, where do we find a definition of love? Well, turn your Bibles, if you would, to 1 John 4. Because if the kingdom of God is a kingdom of love... And if our relationships with one another are to be driven by love, then we need to understand what love is. I'm going to begin reading with verse 7 of 1 John 4. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. 
This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete in us. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him and He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in Him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world we are like Him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is his command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Okay, let's look, let's look just at this final paragraph here in verse 19. Because I want, to, I want you to see the importance of horizontal love in the plan and purpose of God. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Now fasten your seatbelts. If you want to know the true character and quality of your relationship with God, don't look at your theological knowledge. Don't look at your participation in ministry. Don't look at your biblical literacy. Look at the quality of the relationships you have with the people closest to you. If you want to know the true quality of your relationship with God, look at the quality of the relationships you have with the people closest to you. If you do not love your husband or your wife, you cannot love God. Not my words. If you're mad right now, that's okay with me. Because these are not my words. These are God's words. We fool ourselves when we think that we love God. When we're living in demanding, critical, separated, uh, selfish, conflictual relationships with the people in our life. I recently spoke at a conference and they created a dramatic video before I got up to speak.
It's a video of a family. There's no, there's just sort of mournful music going on. No, you can't hear the people talking to one another. But it's Sunday morning. And there's just agitation and irritation between the husband and wife. You can see it building and toward the parents, toward the kids. And in the car, you can see it continue to go. And when the people hit the church, they hit the church with big smiles on their face. The first sound you hear, it goes from black and white to color. The first sound you hear is the doxology. And this angry man and his irritated wife have hands raised and they're singing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And you want to weep. Because you get the contradiction. Do I really love God if I don't love the person that's the closest to me? John says no. You see, our problem isn't a lack of love for one another first. Our problem is a lack of love for God. And because of that, we don't love one another. There are husbands and wives in this room that you are quite skilled at a Sunday morning persona. You are quite committed to vibrant worship sometime before noon on Sunday. But five minutes down the road, you're arguing. You went to bed Saturday night angry. And God is not fooled. He knows that conflict that you're having with one another, that selfishness, that accusation, that judgment is not first about you. It's first about Him. I think it would be wonderful if right now there would be a husband or a wife that would bow your head right now and say, Lord, please forgive me for my lack of love for you. Because I know if I loved you more, I would love this man, I'd love this woman more than I have. I've watched men actually blame their adultery on their wife. I've watched wives actually blame deep abiding bitterness on their husbands. Rather than saying, this disaster, this brokenness, this conflict reveals something deeper than a lack of love for one another. It reveals a lack of love for God. And again, I think getting a hold of that, beginning to confess that, can begin to work 
kind of change in your marriage that you've never had. Now let's go up to earlier in the passage because I want to define this thing called love for you. Look at verse 10. This is love. That is a definitional phrase. If you... If I say to you, this is a car, you know you're going to get what next? A definition. That's a setup for a definition. This is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now you've got to get this concept. You don't define love by a set of abstract concepts. Love is best, and I would say only ever defined by an event. There is an event that is the ultimate definition of what love looks like and love does. That event is the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And what John says is if Christ loved us this way, we ought to love one another in this way. Joy saying, this event is meant to shape and define the kind of love that we are to have for one another. Now let me give it to you in a term and then define it for you. You are called in your marriages to cruciform love. Cruciform love. See. R-U-C-I-F-O-R-M Cruciform love. Crucis stands for cross, form, in the shape of. Love that shapes itself to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's why this is important. It hurts yourself and it hurts your relationship to name things as being love that aren't love. Mannerliness is not love. You can be mannerly to people you don't even know. You care nothing about. Cultural respect is not love. General niceness is not love. The ability to avoid verbal violence is not love. You see, when you name those things as love, then you think you're living in a state that you're not living in. You don't want a doctor to call something healthy that's not healthy. You don't want him to tell you you're okay when you're not okay. You want him to have the highest of diagnostic standards. 
and see if you take a lower standard of love as your definition of love, then when you diagnose your marriage, you may think you're okay when you're not actually okay. The fact that you've lived together enough, long enough, to avoid the minefields of your own selfishness doesn't mean you love one another. It just means you've gotten smart. You get tired of being blown up. Right? So you learn how not to be blown up. It doesn't mean you love one another anymore. You just have a higher sense of self-survival. I guess that's a good thing. But it's not love. And I think that's what happens. We get to a point where we think we've actually come to love one another. We're not really actually loving one another because what we're doing is probably a better state than all-out brutal war, but it's not love. And so what is love? Here it is. Let me give you a definition that flows out of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I want to unpack it. Love is willing self-sacrifice. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. I'm not done. That doesn't demand reciprocation that doesn't demand reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Now, unpack. Love is willing self-sacrifice. Jesus says, said, no one takes my life from me. Can you finish this? I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus was willing to love. Unwilling love is by its very nature not love. You can't love unwillingly. It's impossible. It's an oxymoron. It's like jumbo shrimp. <laughs> jumbo shrimp. Uh, love that's not willing isn't love. Willing self-sacrifice. That's what love does. There's no such thing as love that doesn't require sacrifice. When I'm loving you, what I'm doing is I'm willing to give up what has presence, valuable value, importance to me for your good. I'm stepping outside of myself in order to be part of something good in your life. Love doesn't stay where I am and demand that you come toward me. Love moves toward you. And the very act of moving toward you means I'm leaving things, I'm giving up things, I'm forsaking things, I'm investing things for your good. That's what love does. It, it always requires sacrifice. So, I love you so much 
I'm willing not to win in this conversation. Because I love you. And I would rather have peace with you than to win against you. I'm willing for my physical environment not to look exactly like I'd like it to look. Because I love you more than I love this space. I'm willing to come home at night, even though it's the end of a busy day for me, and not punch out from life and make a bunch of demands. I'm willing, even though I'm exhausted, to continue to serve and to continue to give because I love you. I'm sacrificing my comfort. That's what love does. It finds joy in those sacrifices because I love you. I mean, the Bible actually says that Jesus went to the cross with joy. It's an amazing thing. That's what love does. It's not begrudging. I don't think, oh boy, ten minutes will be home. She's going to have all kinds of things for me to do. I guess I'm going to have to do them. Because if I don't do them, I'll be the bad guy. Well, that's not love. Love finds joy in that. Joy in that I actually have the capacity to give up things and that will result in good in your life brings me joy. Because you are more valuable to me than those things are. Jesus was willing to leave the glory of eternity, did not hold on to the rights of His position. Why? For our good. That's, that's love. Love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. Now, this gets very important. That does not demand reciprocation. The Bible says that while we were His enemies, Christ died for us. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, they hid their faces from Him. The crowd he wept over became the crowd that cried, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Love doesn't wait for reciprocation. Love loves, love loves, love loves, love loves. The minute you wait for reciprocation, you've quit loving that person, you're now loving yourself. And you're loving in order to what? Get love. And all of a sudden, you are now the center of your love. Finally, love does not demand reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Listen, wives, this is hard. No matter what sin 
your husband does against you, you are still called to a cruciform love of that man. Now, I'm not saying that makes that sin wrong, that sin should be dealt with. It's an evil in the sight of God. And it needs to be dealt with clearly and forthrightly. But you are called to cruciform love. You must love in the light of that. Your response must still be love. Husbands, in your wife's most sinful and undeserving moment, you are called to love her with cruciform love. Here's what it means, husbands and wives. No matter what happens in the relationship, the calling of God on you never changes. His call to love never changes. The rules of the game never change. And see, this is what we allow to have happen. That person does something to me that's hurtful. Maybe that's a small thing or a huge thing. I allow the standards to be lowered. And I respond to you in a way that's not loving. I actually make the trouble that we have now worse. I've troubled my own trouble. Cruciform love. You and I are called to offer to one another a love that is formed to the shape of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is love. We must not change the definition. We must not lower the standard.